Welcome back. I'm Larry Wilmore. This is Black on the Air. So many things going on in the world. But you know what, guys? We ain't got time to talk about that stuff. Because <laughs> uh, I was just thinking of Trump, and it always makes me laugh, you know. so That just, is a healthy reaction. <laughs> yes, exactly. And the voice you're hearing is a very special guest who I really want to thank for being here today. Because he actually had a lot of trouble getting here, which I feel bad about. But uh, he just wrote a an awesome book called Outside the Wire, and it's 10 Lessons I've Learned in Everyday Courage. I want to ask him about that, too. Uh, he's the ex-Secretary of State of Missouri and part of the organization Let America Vote, mm-hmm. Mr. Jason Kander. Howdy. Jason, Good to be with you. Welcome to Black on the Air. Thanks for being here, man. I really appreciate it. I'm sorry about that whole snafu and everything. But you've been in Afghanistan, man. That's yeah. nothing. No, I mean, right. I'm fine. I'm <laughs> yes, fine. Yeah. Yes, yes. And plus, I don't think you gave the address that was the. I think I don't think it's your fault, Larry. I'm pretty All sure. All right. Okay. In fact, I'm. Yes, I'm positive. I like to assume blame first. It's kind of my Catholic upbringing, <laughs> you know, because I know how to deal with guilt, you know, sure, so yeah. that I can deal with. Like, this is navigable territory. Exactly. But mm-hmm. I don't even want to think about Catholic right now because that's a whole other thing. <laughs> there's so many horrible things going on, Jason. <laughs> Part of your book, I want to thank you for giving us some light. Thank you. You know, some positive things to think about. Thanks. You know. Nice. Um, I guess the question everyone asks is, uh, why are you writing this book right now? Outside the wire. And, and, and I love the metaphor that it represents, Thanks. too. Yeah. yeah um, so I wrote it because uh, two reasons. One, um, during my time in politics, what's mm-hmm. frustrated me a lot is how many people I feel like the hardest thing they've ever done in their life is the campaign that got them into office. <laughs> yes, right. And, mm-hmm. and that tends to be why they act like losing their job would be the worst thing that could ever happen right. to them, and they don't take any political risk at all. Yes. And they define so, themselves by that. Absolutely. It's a right. personal identity thing. Yes. They look in the mirror and they see a, you name the title. Right. Uh, that was part of it. And then the other part of it was just I had so many people just asking me, you know, like— one of two questions, either what I refer to as a crack the code question, like, mm-hmm. how did you communicate with this kind of vote? Because I got a lot of votes from people who voted for Trump, even though he and I don't agree on anything. Right. And I wanted to answer that question, but I also wanted to answer the question of, of how is it that you're still hopeful and you're still engaged? Right. And uh, and so I, I called it outside the wire because, um, as you alluded to, that's a term that means going off the base, mm-hmm. off the safety of the base when you're in a place like Afghanistan, where I was. Um, but it also is my way of saying, you know, nobody ever really made change from within their comfort zone. And that's really yeah. what the book's about. Yeah, I find that very fascinating because um, you made kind of that move in your life, you said, after 9-11, mm-hmm. which I don't know, the country was kind of in a comfort zone. Yeah. 9-11 kind of shook us out of it uh, for a lot of people, right? Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. disruptive, you would say. It really was, yeah. you know, and, and it seemed like at that time you were kind of defining yourself by undone accomplishments. Yeah. In a sense, right? Yeah, like I write in the introduction about yeah. how uh, I, I was in college at the time and I would I would email my girlfriend, now my wife, and mm-hmm. I'd say things like, I don't feel like I've ever been tested, you know, baseball pitchers in high school. and. Yeah. You know, and like tough pitchers and tough debate opponents in college, I didn't, I didn't feel particularly tested. Yeah, and so that's part of the thing that, you know, that and just feeling like my country was going to war. I was about twenty years old, and mm-hmm. I was of age. It just seemed like, like I'm going. Yeah, you did it really out, kind of out of sense of duty, out of yeah. like family duty and country duty and that type of thing. It just seemed like to mm-hmm. me, like my grandfather and my great grandfather, respectively, had volunteered during World War II and, and World War One, and I don't know, that always just made patriotic sense to me. But more than that, it just seemed practical. It, right. You know, it wasn't like they had military careers or that they had military careers after that. It was just, 
country was going to war. They were of age. They did mm-hmm. their service. They went back to their wives. And I'd always admired that, but I, I, I wanted to serve, but I don't know I ever would. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I would have, really. Right. But then 9-11 happened, and to me it was like, well, I'm going to do that now. Yeah, it's I'm very fascinated by people that go into other worlds like that, you know, and I love the way you kind of bring us into it. It's almost like Platoon, like the scene where Charlie Sheen lands, you know, and he's the new guy in the fresh suit and you see the bodies yeah. being taken away. It's kind of your experience in the SUV, you know, you kind of explain what that feels like, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, it, it is surreal. Like, And at the time, uh, like when it first started, like just getting there and, and I should caveat this with, like if what for people listening, if what you want is like a book full of like who are war stories, my book is not that book. I mean, sure. my book is is I'm a guy who did this and I was scared. And yes. and what was interesting though about it in retrospect is that I was scared out of my mind um, the first time I went outside the wire. But then after a while, it's amazing what becomes normal. That's interesting. Yeah, that's and, fascinating. And then it was like, well, this is what I do, and because especially because everyone around you is doing it, and right. a lot of people around you are doing more. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, one of the things I didn't mention in the book is that some of those convoys that I volunteered to command to go from uh, Camp Agers in Kabul up to Bagram, which is about an hour, uh, sometimes it was just because they had a Burger King trailer there. <laughs> and it was like, well, that tastes like home. Right. And I look back on that, I don't even like Burger King. Right. I didn't then either. But, and, and also like they were serving it out of a trailer. I mean, it made me sick every time. Yeah. But, at the time, like that made perfect sense to me. Like, oh, they got a Burger King trailer there. I'll I'll pull shooter duty on this convoy. And yeah. now I look back, and I'm you know I'm 37 now. I have a son, and I'm like, that was insane. Yeah. But at the time, like that's what I mean. It was just like a Tuesday. Do you have a perspective on um, Afghanistan since you were there right now? Because we've been there for like 18 years. Yeah. This is the when you put it in war terms, like I, if the whole country should have PSD. PTSD by now. I mean, this is terrible how long this has been going on. It, I don't even know what our point of view is as a country towards that war. People even have the feeling that we're still in conflict over there. Longest yeah. war in American history. Yeah. And if you were to go back and write the American story from the beginning, I sincerely doubt anybody would write Afghanistan as the longest war in American history. Yeah. And yeah, so my perspective on it is that there are there are American soldiers there right now, likely, certainly, who don't remember 9-11. Wow. And from my perspective, like— Who were too young. Yes. I mean, yeah. and, wow. you know, they were, they were alive, mm-hmm. but there's no way—you know, some of them don't remember it. Yeah, if you're 20 years old, you were three years old during 9-11. Exactly. Right. And, and so to me, because that was the event that precipitated me joining, that precipitated me volunteering to mm-hmm. go over. So— that to me says a lot. I'm, yeah, because I don't even know how you engage in a fighting. What's the right word? Like to me, when I think of World War II, you know, I always talk about that. The lines were very clear. Mm-hmm. You know, soldiers knew what they were fighting for. And in fact, I'm kind of a fan of old radio and that kind of stuff. It's kind of I nerd mm-hmm. out on that kind of stuff. Okay. But I find it fascinating to listen to how Americans talked about that war before the war. They're very anti-war, very mm-hmm. isolationist. You know, um, there was a lot of America first slogans mm-hmm. back then. It was mm-hmm. kind of interesting. You don't hear what happened after Pearl Harbor, like kind of how 9-11 did it too. But but now we're in a, it's funny that that war has gone on so long. I don't know what people's opinions are about fighting there now. Like, do they have a sense of they're fighting for something? Or is it, does it feel like they're police in a war? 
Uh, it's hard for me to say because, uh-huh. you know, I got back at the beginning of 07. Right. And, and so it was, and, and for me, and maybe this is kind of similar to now, I suppose, in, a, in an analogous kind of way. One of the frustrating things for me was coming back and, well, I should back up a little. I, I would, personally was against the war in Iraq. I, mm-hmm. Like a lot of people, um, I thought it made no sense. I thought we were invading the wrong country. Did that um, affect your duties there? It didn't, no. I mean, in Afghanistan, the only way it affected it, yes, yes, it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought you meant like my view. My view did not affect it. Um, the war did because two ways. One, I would be emailing with friends who I'd been like an ROTC with or officer mm-hmm. school with, and, and they're in Iraq and, and they're saying to me like, you know, things like I lost a guy yesterday and it's hard for me to explain right. why. And, mm-hmm. and at least in 06 or 07 in Afghanistan, um, I didn't really feel at all like I don't know why we're here. Like right. I didn't, I mean, that was, you know, it had only been a few years. Uh, but then the other piece of it was there was plenty of times where whether they were right or wrong, I don't know, where people said things to me like, oh, well, we would have that for this mission. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that that asset's in Iraq now. So, like, for instance, I had a, a trip um, through something called the Jalalabad Pass. Um, and usually you would, you would take helicopters for that. And we were supposed to, mm-hmm. and then a, a day or so beforehand, they said, well, you're going to, you're going to drive it, which is a very, it's a scary thing to do. Right. And, uh, and they, and I, the explanation given to me, and I have no idea if it was right, mm-hmm. but you know, it felt like probably accurate. They said, well, you know, a lot of the helicopters have been moved to Iraq. And so that bothered me a lot. And it, it, it has really shaped my view of everything in politics because, mm-hmm. You know, I'd been a political science major and all that, but that's what took it from me seeing mm-hmm. it as from afar, like, oh, people, you know, maneuvering against each other to, you no, know, this stuff has, there's real stakes at play here. Absolutely. And because, and look, I grew up comfortably. Like, there was nobody who could make a decision yeah. in my, like, no politician could make a decision that was taking food off my family's table. Right, right. I was in the backseat of a vehicle with no armor in Afghanistan the first time yeah. I ever was on the receiving end of really bad politician decisions. Yeah, it's interesting. I love how you talk about um, perspective in the book. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting take, you know. And even now, when you talk about that, you know, you, you get a clear perspective of of, uh, of survival and those types of things in the war. But then you get away from that. You talk about how time kind of thins yeah. out that perspective. But you seem to be able to have kept a certain type of perspective, or at least you were reminded of it along the way. Yeah, I try. Right. I mean, and it's, you have to be purposeful about it. Right, so like, right. like in the book, um, you know, I, I write, for instance, about uh, like what my living conditions were like over there. And, sure. they, and they were better than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But how, you know, despite the fact that like, I, like I can remember, I, I talk in the book about like, the burn pits, you know, or like, which is oh, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and how you blow your nose Ugh. and it's like human feces Ugh. soot coming out. I mean, that happens to me in Los Angeles. So <laughs> sure, <know>. right. <laughs> that's a good point. What am I talking about? I, mean, I don't know why that's such a big deal. I don't know why you put that in your book. Jason. Yeah, it's a good point, man. Let <laughs> me just, do you have a Kleenex? Who are you talking um, to? <laughs> but like stuff like that, I, I, I wrote about that. And then I wrote about how like when I first came home, you know, it was a long time before I felt like I had a rough morning or anything. Right, and right. then now, you know, like, yeah, I'll complain about a bad Wi-Fi signal and right. stuff like that. And, and so you have to be purposeful and really the more relevant story I tell is, and I won't go into the whole thing, um, but, and plus it's only in every third copy. So people should buy like four. Um, <laughs> that's not true, but uh, it's an Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's all books. Um, but is, you know, being in rooms as an intelligence officer over there, being in rooms where you don't know if you're going to get out alive. Yes. That, 
And then like two years later, I'm sitting in the Speaker of the I House's office. Story, yeah. yeah. I and, love that. And yeah. I'm getting sitting there and he's trying to brace me. And I'm thinking, well, I'm pretty sure I'm getting out of here alive. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. That was helpful. You're looking at us like, I mean, motherfucker, you can't do nothing. You're not going to shoot me in here. I mean, I'm exaggerating. About your no, mind. I think that was an exact quote. But you quote. were in that no. situation. <laughs> I'm just yes. kidding. But your book, that's what I love about the book, how you bounce around a lot, you know, which is good. But to take us to that situation where uh, I won't re- reveal everything because there's, there's a lot of good uh, things that, that you revealed to us after the fact. But that moment of thinking that you may have to shoot some people to get out of here. Yeah. And then <laughs> just the fat cat, the typical fat cat, almost like from the movies, so yeah. try to strong arm you or whatever. Well, and the thing is, I'm sure. That's got to be liberating in a sense. It, it too, is. Right? Yeah. It definitely is. And But at the same time, it's also something that as Afghanistan gets further into my rear view, I have to be purposeful about maintaining that perspective. Right. Um, because it is with every year that passes, um, you have you do you do have less of a sense of you know whatever uh, as my dad used to say to me like they can kill you but they can't eat you like mm-hmm. I, that you have to work on that to to maintain that perspective yeah you talk about courage in your book um everyday courage you make distinctions there what well, why what is courage to you and why don't most politicians have it because and some don't get punished for it as we can see yeah. today's day and age right sure but I, I think we've all noticed this for a long time. That's why that story of George Washington is out there mm-hmm. about t- telling his father the truth. Yeah. That story is an example for a reason, right? right. Yeah. Because they're weaselly, you know? Yeah. Well, because, right. like, it's supply and demand, right? When when there's such a small supply of truth in politics, mm-hmm. it, it becomes a very valuable commodity. And, and the argument I, I, I make in Outside the Wire is that this thing that politicians do where they think there's a certain way you talk and and you have to like a campaign is like a multiple choice test and you're trying to figure out where the voters are so you can get to the, you can have the same answers yeah, finger in the air exactly the wind's blown. and i have this really controversial view uh that i think i've proven mostly right which is being a being good at politics is not that different from being a good person it's mm-hmm. just like say what you believe try and convince people of what you genuinely believe and don't lie to people yeah. And you won't win every election if you do that, but you're way more likely to actually affect change, which is supposed to be the point. Is that being good at politics or is that feeling good about politics? Because I would argue that there have been some horrible people sure. who have done really good in politics. Yeah, it depends know? on how you measure it. So I yeah. argue that it's being good and and feeling I, – I argue they're the same because mm-hmm. I don't I don't measure success politically by – uh, win loss in elections. Mm-hmm. I measure it by the capacity to actually make change. Okay. So to actually push the right thing over the finish line, or the manner in which you're pushing something over the finish line, like the thing that got you into <laughs> politics in the first place. Yes. Like, you know, I've seen plenty of people, and I write about this in the book. Uh, you know, I have a section in there um, that's uh, be a person, not a pretzel. That yeah. like you can you can do the thing where you're constantly changing your public position on things in order to satisfy the voter. But a couple mm-hmm. of things happen. One, increasingly with every year that goes by, with everybody having a camera on their phone, like that ain't that's not a sustainable strategy. Like, yeah. Voters see so much acting. Uh, like the average American sees a lot of good acting, Hulu, Netflix, right. all this stuff. When we see politicians acting poorly, which is what that is when they're taking a position they don't really believe in, mm-hmm. it actually doesn't look like bad acting to us because we don't have a frame of reference for bad acting. It just right. makes us uncomfortable and right. it's and it's weird. Mm-hmm. And so the argument I make is like, if you just go out and say what you believe and try and convince people, what happens is you will win some people over and the people who already agreed with you, they get pretty jazzed about it because right. they see you doing that. 
And, you know, it's no different than making an argument in any other part of your life. Like it's your spouse or your roommate or your friend. Like nobody ever wins an argument by saying, no, really, I promise we have the same position. Like, yeah. It doesn't work. And so what happens is people look at it and go, well, but look at Trump. And I always point out to folks, 54% of the country voted for somebody not named Donald Trump. But by the way, Trump is being authentic. He's authentically, uh, I don't. He's he, authentically he, a horrible person. I'll yeah, say it for exactly. you, Jason, no, no, no. I know you may run for a. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't. That's not a controversial view in my no, he's house. he's a horrible person. He, yeah. he, he proves that all the time. But people, they actually, I think they reward him not for being a horrible person, but for being honest about his horribleness. It's like like this. he's straightforward about being horrible, and yeah. when I, and when I say horrible, I mean he's very petty. He's mm -hmm. lowest common denominator all the time. The way in which he engages with people, he always takes the the crudest route mm -hmm. in how he deals with people. That's what I mean by horrible person. Well, and here's mm -hmm. here's why I think it's a good example of the diminishing return on that approach. Because mm -hmm. so his the basic argument that he made to voters uh, in 2016, it's never articulated this way, but this is how I would explain it. He said, look, you don't like me, mm -hmm. and you don't like the way I treat people, but it's made me very personally successful. See, I, I, let me just disagree with you real quick. Okay, that's way too self-reflective of Donald Trump. No, no, no. Because I think he said, you love me. That's and, what he said. Yes, and I think he yeah. believes that. For sure, he does. Right, okay. But I'm talking about the basic deal that he made okay. with voters, right? right? Like his whole, he's brash, he's all these things. Right. What his basic deal is... And this is sort of crafted by Bannon and those folks. It's like, right. you know, it's the 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 end of the equation is, but it's made him very personally successful. So, yeah, you got the base folks who are going to vote Republican regardless. But those people who got persuaded, like the 220,000 Missourians who voted for me and for him, even mm -hmm. though the only thing we agree on is we're both afraid of sharks, like those people, mm -hmm. they what they said to themselves was, well, if he's going to do that now for me or for the country, like, I'll give that a try. It wasn't like, I'm jazzed about this. They're like, so I'll try this. They felt a personal connection to how he was engaging them, do you think? I think it's just sort of the, the it was the argument was like, hey, this worked for me and now I'm going to do it for you. And people were like, uh, okay, I'll try that. Like They're, they thought they'd be a billionaire? No, not a billionaire, but mm -hmm. look, it's hard. Like I didn't vote for the guy, so it's pretty right. hard for me to, <laughs> I can't get all the way into this mindset. I like to poke at these theories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. here's how I know this is the case, is okay. because what would then happen is, since then, what people have seen is he's not doing it for them. He's still, like, right. when he gets angry. With the tariffs and some of these other yeah, things. Yeah, it's all about him. And the way people express this is they say, well, I don't like the tweeting. That's what people say to me all the time. Mm -hmm. And so what I tell all my friends, and I'm a, I'm a progressive, you know, there's no like, I'm not a, we need to move the middle of the win elections guy. It's not what I'm about. But okay. what I tell my friends is if what you're looking for is for Trump voters to have like a Jack Nicholson and a few good men moment where they're <laughs> like, I ordered, you know, I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. But what you can do is you can make the argument to people. If you don't make the argument you were wrong, you can make the argument you were wronged. He did not do for the little guy, what he said he was going to do, because mm -hmm. it's still all about him. And with the voters who were on the fence and voted for him, that's that's why he's losing a lot of support, because people are like... Is he? Yeah. He, I mean, look, I'm, first of all, I'm he wasn't... Very, a, I have to let you know, Jason. Yeah. I'm a Democrat, been a Democrat all my sure. life. Um, you know, I've always tried to view elections fairly as people who are presenting ideas and try to listen to that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I try to be loyal to my party as much as I can. Mm -hmm. um, but I view Trump as somebody who will get reelected for the simple reason of the economy. I think if it goes bad, it's a different story. I think people get into a relationship more with the cult of personality, actually, than are breaking down some of those issues. It takes it. The, 
to me, things would have to go so poorly for people to change their minds. So here's how I look at it. That's kind of how I see it. No, well, let me be clear. I'm not saying, like, he's toast. Like, we have to work really hard. and But before that, right. we have to work really hard in 2018. I remind people all the time. that well, 2018 is going to be a winner for the Democrats. Well, I hope so. But for that to happen, everybody needs to, after they finish listening to this podcast, go knock on some doors. <laughs> yes. You know, like, I always remind people, like, Blue Wave is not a weather event. Like, you right. build it. You make it happen. Or Obama said, don't boo, vote. Right, exactly. And, and, <laughs> and I would favorite. say, further, yeah. more than that, like, go tell your neighbor to vote. You know? Right. And and so, what I remind people of, though, with, with Trump is two things. One... He may have won the election, but he didn't win the argument about who America is or where we're going. Mm -hmm. He really didn't win that argument. And you can tell that by the movement that's happening all over the country. That's really quite real. I've I've seen a lot of it. But, Jason, let me interrupt for a second. Well, hold on. Let me finish the one last part. It's your podcast, but I'm just going to rudely continue this. No, please. Because I hope it answers your second point. I call it disrespectfully disagreeing. Please go for (laughs) it. That's what I'm totally (laughs) 100% doing. Please disrespectfully disagree. And frankly, I regret it already. No, (laughs) go go for it. Um, I'll write it down so I won't forget. Thanks. Uh, the, the, The second part of it is just to remember that he won an inside straight in the Electoral College. Yes. And a lot of people didn't vote. And okay. if we don't make that mistake again, we can beat him. Now, that said, please, okay, he please won- say whatever you're going to say. The person that wins the inside street, what do they get? Yes, I, 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 that's a very good point. They get the jackpot. He's president. Guess what he gets to do? Pick the Supreme Court. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying I'm not saying he's not it's president. Like, like, look, this is not an ideal yes. situation, Larry. <laughs> right, like, no. I'm not, I'm not yeah. trying to be Pollyanna. Yeah. I'm just saying when people say like, if some such and such doesn't happen, he won't be beat. I just want to. I just try to remind everybody, like he's very beatable. Okay, but but we have to execute. That's and we have to do it. Okay, execute and do it. Very proactive, all that kind of stuff. But I think there also has to be a presentation of ideas here that are convincing, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. you're selling something something to the American people. Now, sure. I I feel like you're interested also in local politics. Yeah. Which I think is very powerful. I want to talk about that later, Thanks. but let's stay in this just for a bit. So, are are now are you a progressive, and what does progressive mean to you? To me, to be progressive or to be a Democrat, to me, it just means uh, to give a damn about people, even if they're people you don't personally know. Okay. Now, how about a little more specifically? Because now sure. progressive has to do more with types of policies than it has to do with yeah. because both sides could could make that statement that you're making. And I don't really get into that right. as much because to me. Um, I know that that, that's a very popular argument that a lot of people are having right now, but I don't see people having that argument on the ground among the people who are knocking on doors and making this happen. The what amounts to progressive and what doesn't. Then why do you call yourself a progressive? Because I don't know. I mean, I just mean like, well, I guess, I guess we're on two trains of thought. I'm a progressive. What I mean is the question of what, what, what qualifies you as progressive and what doesn't like Like it's going to translate to policy. Yeah, it does. And I can tell you what mine are. I just, I don't really get into the whole, like, well, this person's not a real progressive. Like I don't engage in that much. Right. I understand. I understand. It's kind of your style. You don't do that, but there is kind of, it feels like there's a rift right now in the democratic party between, I mean, you even kind of, there is. You even kind of say it's snottily, you know, my, I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, in the middle. My, I just mean there right? is. But you were throwing it, a little shade at, <laughs> yeah. at moderates there. Well, you yeah, know, because I want people to seen be. His face. He was like, he made the stink face. I saw that uh, that brown stuff coming out of his nose. <laughs> <laughs> I just want people to be authentically whatever they are. And that's mm-hmm. what I think voters As, want. Especially if that's progressive. Especially. But also, right. like, I have friends who, you know, I campaign for and I help who are not as, you know, who are more moderate or however you want to call it. Mm-hmm. 
But like, if that's genuinely what they believe and they will passionately make the argument, mm-hmm. voters will get behind that. And, and yeah. I can get behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I tell my friends who are always saying, well, you know, we need to run on X. And I'm like, yeah, I agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. But if your candidate doesn't believe in that, don't have your candidate go run sure. on something they don't believe in because right. voters can tell. To the earlier point, it's funny that a lot of politicians these days can pander, and you kind of make this point in your book a little bit because of gerrymandering and that mm-hmm. sort of thing in protected districts, which is ironic. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that you're kind of a unicorn in a lot of different ways. <laughs> like, Thanks. No, I, I, yeah, I take it as a compliment. No, Jason, I'm a big yeah. fan. You know, I admire Thanks, the, the whole commercial of making that gun, Thanks. putting the, the rifle together. Yeah. It was fantastic. Thanks. You know? um, what? What what is the gun that the Democrats need to put together though, <laughs> blindfolded or or with off, without the blindfold? You know, I hate yeah. to use a metaphor like and this, I but get you know where I'm going with this. Well, to uh, me, it is. It's not like there's no. I hate. To, I wouldn't, and Kander Nev, by the way, to even you know to <laughs> yeah. even go further in your lineage. Yeah, and I <laughs> and I have none of those abilities at all. It's there you go. Always, That's, neither do I. It's <laughs> solely disappointing to people when <laughs> they my daughter was here. She'd be like, <gasps> her mouth. Oh my god, Dad. <laughs> I'm in like I'm in. Yeah. Politics, it's showbiz for less attractive people. You there know? you go. So, That's what they say. In your case, probably not true. But there you well, go. I, yeah. thanks. Um, this is Oh, fine. my God. A bromance is, is yeah, busting out. This is... I'm back in the air, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a wonderful time. I think you should. I think you're in your moment right now. I mean, I just meant right now. This, n- you yes, me. but I think you're in a moment right now. I like your approach, but I want, I'm, I want to clarify it for myself, yeah. too, of, of why your approach can win. Because we're proving all the time that the opposite wins yeah you know that there's a strategizing that wins over let's say an earnest authenticity there's a a gutter authenticity Mm -hmm. that almost seems to win more like you look at someone like lbj right lbj is an interesting character to me because here's a guy who you know you talk about gutter politics there's nobody better at it Mm -hmm. there's nobody better at the gutter than LBJ. And yet at the same time, here's a man who had a moment where he did the right thing, as you talk about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He did it in the moment, you mm-hmm. know, at the right time. You know, and, you, and, you know, he seemed like a man who schemed his way almost through his life, you know. But he owned it. But he owned it. He did. And it was different times, too. Yeah. Politicians were, that's just kind of what they were, you right. know. That old, kind of, this was unmitigated girl, you know, like <laughs> yeah. that, that fake outrage type uh-huh. of thing. But LBJ is interesting because he also got punished for lying about Vietnam. Mm-hmm. He got he actually got punished for both. Mm-hmm. He got punished for telling the truth about civil rights mm-hmm. and then he got punished for lying mm-hmm. about Vietnam. It's very interesting well, to me. And imagine yeah. LBJ in like the age of Twitter and YouTube. I mean it oh. would be it'd be very different. Yes. And and so I guess so to get to your question about like what is the one thing? Yeah. The thing is, is that the one thing is that passion is persuasive. Mm-hmm. And and so, like right now I'm running for mayor. You alluded mm-hmm. to it. I'm running right. for mayor of Kansas City. Congratulations. And thank you. I mean, it's, you know, as I as I get out and I'm like, I'm knocking on doors and, I, and right. I'm, I'm meeting people at public events, I'm shaking mm-hmm. hands. You know, if somebody tells me they live in a in a certain part of town and they're and and I'm talking to them about what's going on, like crime, that sort of thing in that part of town, I'm not going to sit there and pretend I grew up in their neighborhood. Right. You know, maybe some politicians feel that they have to like really find a, sure. a, a level of common experience with that person. That's the only way to win them over. Mm-hmm. I tend to my approach tends to be I will build a relationship with somebody by acknowledging that what we don't have in common. Mm-hmm. You know, like one of the biggest reasons I'm running mm-hmm. for mayor of Kansas City is. 
in my neighborhood, things are going very well. You can feel out of the progress. And mm-hmm. two miles away from me in my same city, that's not the case. Mm. And you asked, you know, why am I progressive? Like, because I give a damn about those people. And right. but I don't enter into conversations with those folks acting like we have the same experience because mm-hmm. we don't. And I I think that too often politicians feel like they have to be everything to everybody. And yeah. voters know, like. Voters know, I I tell a story in the book about going to Ferguson and so many other politicians in the state, like they would say things like, well, I can't go there because I don't have any answers. And I would say- (laughs) That's not the real reason. (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. But I mean, even, even, yes, you're right. Right. But even the ones who were well-intentioned were scared because they were like, people will ask me what we should do and I don't know. And I was like, how are you going to learn if you don't go and ask questions? And that's what I did. I just showed up and I asked a ton of questions. Mm -hmm. And- and the, the thing is, voters know you don't know. Mm-hmm. And when you say you don't know about something, they're shocked. Not that you didn't know, but that you said you didn't know. Yeah. And and that's, I mean, we make politics so complicated mm-hmm. when in reality, like, you like people who act a certain way around you. You like politicians who, who act a certain way, too. It's the same way. And now, in this day and age, you don't, you can't just, like, make up an image and a product and present it to the people. Like, right. People are going to see all sides of you at yeah. a certain level. Of I like politics. when you talk about uh, trying to <laughs> boast or take credit for not giving yourself a raise <laughs> yeah. or whatever, and how that bit you in the it's, ass. It's a yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's a good example because, yeah. like, my wife had to point out to me that yeah. like don't vote for your own raise, and, I, and so I didn't. And yes. then and then I was like convinced that that meant I was in touch. And then I'm right. going around bragging about how I <laughs> vote against my own raise, and then this dude, this heckler, during a speech is like. Man, I don't know if I can trust a man who doesn't vote to give himself a pay raise. Makes a point. And uh, yeah, and I was like, so I realized I was right to vote against my own raise and completely wrong to think it made me in touch. Yeah. And 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 so yeah, I tell a lot of like personally embarrassing stories in the book because well, it's, it's good, the only though. way you learn. Self-deprecation is a good tool. You talk about mm-hmm. the two, you know. It's funny because— It's the most self-deprecating book, Larry, you'll ever read. <laughs> Which is good, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, I just think that's if it like, was the most self-deprecating, <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't say that, no, actually. Right, that was You would say ironic. it's the least self-deprecating, right? Yeah. Oh, good point. I don't <laughs> know. that would be self-deprecating, I tra- right? I was trying to— uh, <laughs> I was trying to like be the stereotypical politician. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. And clearly, the joke did not land. No, I, yeah. I, I think I figured it out. I'm sure you'll cut this too. part. No, I don't cut anything. I know. I, I was. I know. Part I was kidding. Again, that's two jokes in a row. Didn't land. There you go. Number three is going to be a winner. Comedy and politics very similar. I'm just going to leave it to your side you, of the table. Well, you can't be fake <laughs> to the audience. You know, the right. audience wants you to be real to them. I'm genuinely not funny in the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> there, number three. Are work. you fu- are you funny in your speeches when you speak uh, to crowds? Yeah, but you should. Remember that the the bar for a politician is super low. That's true. So yeah. um, by that standard, yeah. I mean, Bob Dole was funny. I exactly. Bet. You know, yeah. that's pretty low bar. No, I mean, like I, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> Although I, I don't mean to disparage Bob Dole, I like Bob Dole. No, He's, but he yeah. was funny for a politician. Yeah, and like he was funny after he lost. That happens a lot, especially mm-hmm. with Republicans. Republicans get so like. <laughs> Democrats too. Maybe it's my bias as a Democrat, you know. Yeah, you, that's true. Why why do you think that is? Like Hillary is the most likable when she's not running. Everybody is, it seems yeah. like. Um but look, a lot of it is because and I'm not no politician in particular, but so, I think people feel like okay, so the the biggest it's compliment kind of that guard. They, yeah, too. people put up the armor. Yeah. And 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 the biggest compliment you can get as a politician is mm-hmm. you seem comfortable in your own skin. Right. Which there's really no other profession. Like no one's ever like, you know what I love about my accountant? Just a regular guy. Like right, no, nobody right. ever says that. Uh, how are the books? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, they're like, you know, he's, he's an accountant. He's got the CPA. But like, 
He's just normal. He's yeah. just, no one says that. Like, you, know, you can have a beer with my heart surgeon. Yeah, exactly. but, uh, I think you have some heart issues. <laughs> exactly. There. It's not like the standard people use, right. but it's because people feel like there must be a certain voice, a certain way of speaking to an electorate. And, and they're convinced of it. Mm. And it's, it's hard, I guess, to put yourself on display. And when I watch yeah, my friends who struggle with this, it looks genuinely kind of like anguish. Like if you're mm-hmm. not fully comfortable, um, it, it seems like it's a very hard profession. Uh, it can be a very mm-hmm. hard line of work if you're, if you're constantly like, I must present this certain way. And for me, like I can't act. Like I have no ability to act whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So I don't try. And a lot of what politicians are doing when they're going out there and saying things they don't believe is just they're acting and like if you were a good actor like that's probably what you'd do yeah i think the best actor president was bill clinton by far you know i can feel your pain (laughs) you know i mean even if he didn't mean it he was so good at it people thought mm -hmm. that he could you know and what's ironic about that so david axelrod told me a story once about not a firsthand like he had read it somewhere Mm -hmm. and um and he he was telling me that uh, Reagan, who obviously was an actor, right. but there was a time when uh, they were profiling him when he was governor of California, and they were going to follow him around with a camera, sure. like CBS or somebody. And mm-hmm. they had this thing on the schedule where he was supposed to, uh, like, go down by the Capitol steps and throw his jacket over his shoulder, <laughs> and you know, and all this. And I guess Reagan <laughs> looked at that and was like, uh, "Everything is good except that part." And they're like, "Why?" And he said, "Because I don't usually take off my jacket." And they're like, "So do it for this." And he's like, mm-hmm. "No, if I do it and it's not real, people will be able to tell." So like. He's an he was an actual actor and he understood that if you are doing something to portray yourself a certain way, like voters will be able to feel that. Right. Like John Wayne said, the key to acting is sincerity. And once you learn to fake that, you've got it made. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, that's a pretty good analogy for politics, I guess. Yeah, Reagan's (laughs) interesting too, because he always seemed genuine, but you didn't know you don't know where that was gonna lead you to, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting place that we're in. Um, why do you think why why are you not thinking about a bigger stage? Not that mayor is not important, sure. but you kind of have a platform now, you mm-hmm. know. Um, you know, the book is out. We're in a transition stage where I think a lot of young voices like yourself can emerge. Yeah. I mean, look at Obama. He did that. Sure. He did the keynote in 2004. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't really know who he was. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't even think people at his church knew who he was. Like, <laughs> who's that Kenyan guy with the, with the weirdo? Osama type Hussein. Man. There are some people there. still talking about it that way, unfortunately. <laughs> I think there was a $25,000 pyramid or something. <laughs> oh, I saw this clip the other day. Yeah. That poor guy. Because oh, he like read it wrong. He did a whole thread on Twitter. Like He's like, I just read the word wrong. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I hope for his sake, one, that I that's the truth. I tapped into and, the subconscious. But Obama's yeah. name, that's Obama's fault, too. <laughs> Is it? Well, yeah. Don't have such a fucked up name and run for president, please. Can you simplify it a little bit for us? I mean, I Maybe he could. He's he went by Barry in high school. He could have done that for us. He didn't have to roll out Barack on top of the Hussein and Obama. He could have rolled out Barry for us, Jason. You can tell I'm passionate about this. Well, I was familiar with that before I walked in here, Larry. Yeah, you you rather rather legendarily made that point. I think. Um, (laughs) Yes, that's true. I used a different term. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a rather legendary uh, that you apparently forgot about for a minute. No, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's my subconscious working yeah. for me. <laughs> You're like, what's this guy's? Mm. <laughs> um, although I know at the time you meant it in a different, uh, endearing, yeah, course. endearing way. I know, yeah, that's and my I understand. Boy. That's yeah. my boy. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I get you. And, Obama. Uh, but so I don't remember your original point. So about, I'll just do a politician thing and start talking. Okay. Well, no, let's talk kidding. about why do you not oh, yeah. want to grab that ring on the national stage right now, Jason? I, I feel like you could be having a moment right now. Or are you saying? 
well, I'm going to be mayor. And I, yeah, no, I plan to stay there the whole time and everything. <laughs> no, run for Senate. No, I can't because mayor. All right. Okay. <laughs> have you ever been to Kansas City? Uh, I have. Long time ago. Okay. Yeah. Had so, some good ribs there in Kansas City. So you understand. And some good music there in Kansas yeah, City. Yeah, that's it's right. It's a great place for music. It, it, so, look, um, I think... For me, like Kansas City's made a ton of progress, and I want to see that progress touch everybody in the city. I want everybody to be able to see it, mm -hmm. and that's why I want to run for mayor. I'm fifth generation Kansas City, and my son's a sixth generation Kansas City, and mm -hmm. big Royals um, fan. Of big, yeah, I mean, right. like the idea of getting the opportunity to be mayor in my hometown at a time like this in its development means a lot to me. And as for the other stuff, you know, um, look, I, I don't make any secret of the fact that. While running Let America Vote the last year and a half, I was thinking about the best way to serve my community and whether that was even in elected office. Mm -hmm. And I, look, I think the best argument for progressive values is progress that you can see. Okay. And and I, I believe that as mayor, I can do that in, in my hometown. And so I'm really excited about it. Do you feel like there are, where are young people now? Do you feel like they want to be engaged on this local level like this? Or are they more pie in the sky type of of uh, um, of a movement. And I know I'm generalizing, but... Um, yeah, I'm trying to... Well, I've had a lot of folks uh, reach out and get really excited about, mm -hmm. like, which I'm gratified by, by my campaign in Kansas City, mm -hmm. uh, young people. When like, is the election? April. April and then June. So April and okay. then a runoff in June. Runoff in June. Okay, and, so um, pretty soon. And, but at the same time, like with Let America Vote, uh, with my organization, Let America Vote, we've had hundreds of folks volunteer for that, and that's all over the country. So... I actually think that this moment that we're in right now, I refer to it as it's grabbing our territory. I mean, people came out of 16 and they're just like, mm -hmm. okay, uh, I got to do something. Right. And, and, and what's special about it is it's not, and I guess really what I was alluding to earlier when, when you were talking about like whether there's a riff in the, in the sure. progressive movement, what I really mean is. Well, in the Democratic Party. Not yeah, the in the Democratic Party. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, much better said. And, and it's the reason I don't see it in a practical sense on the ground is because mm -hmm. it's not a politician on people's TV that's bringing them out sure. to do this. It's like during the Trump care debate, your neighbor calls and is like, oh, we're in a super red congressional district, but we're going to go to this town hall and demand answers. Do mm -hmm. you want to come? And I've just met so many people who that's what brought them in. And that's a movement not that starts in Washington and goes out. It's one mm -hmm. that starts everywhere else and goes to Washington. And if you think about the history of the country, that's the most effective movements. Mm -hmm. And that's what I see happening right now. The and, grassroots. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. what I see from young people. I mean, young people are just looking at it going, you know, okay, now we have to do this. I mm -hmm. mean, like I'm a millennial by like a matter of months. Like I'm a senior millennial, <laughs> some gray hair. And, right. But I look at my generation and the next generation coming up and I see a lot of people who are now looking at this going, okay, we're going to deal with all of this stuff. Like it's going to be, it's going to be us. It's going to be our kids. It's going to be, our, and so there's a moment here and part of it's just math, just the generation getting old enough to where, mm -hmm. you know, they've got careers now that they're, they're thinking about long-term things and they're going, this is not okay. But then it's also really young people. I mean, the March for Our Lives. I mean, it's one of the most inspiring things that I've seen in mm -hmm. the last year. Right. And it's just people going, okay, nobody's going to do it for us. Like, grab an oar. Let's what do you, go. What do you think is the most important issue for, for, that, for that group right now? For young because, people? Yeah, because, you know, I mentioned war. I don't see people really protesting right. war or that type yeah. of thing the way other generations have. You know, um, the like I said, the economy's doing well, so it's hard to make some of those cases that people normally make, even though they are true, as you know, being mm -hmm. on the ground, mm -hmm. there's a lot of people still in poverty and dealing with those issues, yeah. but it gets glossed over in the news. It, it doesn't run the headlines. What's, what do you think their issue is? 
Is it the typical left issues like climate change, uh, gender issues, that sort of thing? Or is there something else there that's, that you think is in the waters, is bubbling up? So I would group it into two things mm-hmm. um, because I don't feel like there's – I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like if you look at – And I'm categorizing one side, by the way, because I, I realize there yeah. are young people on the right. As yeah, well. but fewer. Right. I mean, honestly, like right. the, the, it, the, it's a pretty progressive uh, rising generation. Sure. So I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, there's plenty of data that shows you're right. I mean, it's mm-hmm. climate change uh, and a lot of other issues. But if I had to, like, group them into – because nobody experiences issues one at a time. We mm-hmm. talk about them one sure. at a time, but people live life. Right. And so I think it's basically two things. One, it's just a sense of fairness that people want to see. And okay. I think if you think about whether it's climate change, whether you think like campaign reform. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Healthcare. Pe- yeah. Issues. People just, mm-hmm. people just looking at it going, that doesn't seem fair. And that, that doesn't right. seem like access to whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. whether it's for them personally or, and I think largely with this generation, part of the reason it's progressive largely is because there are a lot of people in this generation who care about people they don't know. And then that gets characterized as a sense of entitlement and, and that kind of thing because they're, you know, they, they care, but they're sensitive to issues, even if it doesn't affect them. And I think that's patriotism. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one area. But then the other is uh, I would characterize it more as like on the economic side, like strictly economic side, a real sense we have a system of inequality that's developing to where, and this is something I think the party misses and should speak to more. Okay. Not, not from a policy perspective, but from a messaging perspective. Good. We don't talk enough about the fact that people want to have opportunities where they live, not wanting, not having to leave. So Good. I like that. I think voters, mm-hmm. there's four things that voters want for their family above all else. They want their family to be happy, to be healthy, to be safe, and to be nearby. Mm-hmm. And I think in the Democratic Party, our issues speak to all four of those things really well. But I don't think as a party, we have really talked anywhere near enough about that last one, which is nearby. I mean, like, one of the biggest reasons I'm running for mayor, I want people in my town to be able to have success without having to leave town or without having to move across town. Mm-hmm. And when I think about the nation as a whole, particularly in the Midwest and the South, a lot of folks my age want to be able to have success without people being like, well, you're going to have to move for that opportunity. Yeah. Like we want, when we raise our kids, we want to be able to call up our parents and be like, can you, you're 20 minutes away. Can you watch? Like mm-hmm. my son is almost five. Like, you know, today uh, my wife, uh, wanted to get a workout in, but my son is sick and he's home from school and she called my mom and my mom right. came over. Like, it's little stuff like that and it's also just being near your family and you name the issue, I can tell you how it makes it more likely. Student loans. Like, student loans are not just about folks not wanting to pay off their debt. Student loans are about, you know, the average student debt in my state is $28,000 for somebody who graduates a four-year school. That's low. Right. right, but in my right. state, right, with when the, if the but then my the median income in my city is about forty five thousand. Yeah, well, I mean it, that's a lot of debt, but I'm when right. You think but I understand you're saying relative. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like if if you went to school uh, in L A. If you went to school in L A. and you came out with, uh, but you're from Kansas City and you came out with twenty eight thousand dollars in debt, you may not feel like there's a, a job with the wages back home for you to be able to move back home. Absolutely, and your debt is what's driving that. So my point is. That issue is not just about like people who just graduated college. That issue is about that's killing. That's that's really really dangerous to towns like mine who want to main who want to hang on to talent. Yeah, and so that's whether people articulate it that way or not. A lot of it is about like my son is almost five, and when I think about him going away to college. I, he has no idea. Like I, I'm going to try to be his roommate. Like, <laughs> that's all we want. We just want to be around Stalker our families. Dead, yeah. yeah, I I agree with you. I, 
to me, it, it hits me in, on a different level, too, because I, I love that term nearby. It's a great term, you know, um, and I, I think that is a, a very powerful in a lot of different ways. Primary education is is one of the things that nearby has the biggest effect that is yes. failing us in so many ways. It's our public education. Mm-hmm. My mother taught in public education system for a while, worked for our, the school district. Many people in my family have been teachers and that kind of stuff. I went to public school for a while, and then I went to Catholic school. I've kind of had both of those roles. It wasn't in one of those elite private schools. And Catholic school always feels the lowest rung of the private school. I, I was the only <laughs> Jewish kid at a Catholic school. Yeah, I understand. You know what I'm talking about, yeah. you know. But it's still, you know, there's more of an emphasis on college preparatory type of thing mm-hmm. than if you're lucky to be in that type of public school. Yeah, we were, we were both very fortunate to have yes. that opportunity. Correct. Yeah. But to me, there's a huge problem with that, you know, especially in our public school system. Mm-hmm. And since, you know, you're on the ground in local politics and you talked about like the differences in communities even, you know, there's a nice little safe community there. People don't got to worry about these things. And then there's a community that isn't so safe and doesn't have a lot of these things. And I feel like primary education is one of the biggest failings that we have as a country right now because opportunities aren't being provided at the time kids need it most, which is probably K K through six, Mm -hmm. you know, or before. Yeah. Yeah. Pre-K, pre-K through six, Mm -hmm. you know, is when are, those are such formative years, Jason. It breaks my heart when I look at the things that kids don't have. Cause by the time they get in high school and that stuff, it's really too late for a lot of kids. Not for their lives, of course, yeah. you know, but it's too late for the type of structure they need to, if they're going to compete, you know, in certain areas. People know? who build prisons build them based on third grade reading levels. That's mm-hmm. how they, that's how they determine. What do you mean by that? They they look at third grade reading levels mm-hmm. in an area and that's how they determine where the prisons are going to need to be built really? in the future. I've never heard that. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. We just had our 77th homicide in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's. I mean, for our population, that's way too high, right? Mm-hmm. Like one is too high, obviously, but but that's right. you know relative to others, it's way too high. And the the best, uh, you know, the best anti crime program is schools and jobs. Mm-hmm. And I look at, at you know the, I look at things like we do a very good job. Uh, it, the proverbial we, you know, generally in this country culturally of saying like the STEM fields, you know, math mm-hmm. that kind right. of thing, and saying like if somebody has an aptitude and an interest in that, we're going to cultivate it. But then if somebody uh, instead is interested in pursuing a career where they're going to work with their hands, I we should just as enthusiastically uh, cultivate that. I don't know yeah. why we're snotty about that. We shouldn't be. and Absolutely not. Yeah, because those you know, they're good jobs, good wages, you know, benefits, and, and they build communities, yeah. literally and figuratively. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and self-worth. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I apologize. I'm going to have to go in just a second. Okay. I hate, no I hate problem. To, I hate to do that um, when I was late. Um, <laughs> that's okay. But, Let me ask you. Because it's, it's, it's the second rudest thing I've Jay, done so far in this here's conversation. What's awesome. Here's what's awesome. Jason thinks I'm going to edit this out. I know. I know you're not, <laughs> which is why I just said that really diplomatic <laughs> yes. thing. No, I appreciate it. So, also because. Also, because no, I actually have to also. But Jason, let me ask you one last thing. And thank you so much for being here. <laughs> thank you I for wish waiting. You, right. uh, and by the way. Like I said, I'm a huge fan. I wish you the best in the upcoming election and everything. Uh, just tell us about Let America Vote. Uh, oh, sure. yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Let America Vote uh, is an organization I started a year and a half ago to create political consequences for voter suppression. Mm-hmm. The way that voting rights have been fought for um, by voting rights advocates, also known as Democrats in the last couple of decades, has been in court. And that worked for most of the time, for a long time. Right. And then Trump got elected and uh, started appointing the judges uh, himself and also 
put Jeff Sessions in charge of the Department of Justice. Okay. And so literally the U.S. government switched sides in all these legal cases. Even Trump regrets that. <laughs> yeah, different reason, but yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trump, listen to yourself. Get rid of him. <laughs> oh, man, I don't even know what to wish for there. <laughs> yeah, it's um, like, no. But he, uh, yeah, um, but he. No, it's so a as, Sophie's choice. Yeah, yeah okay. the yeah. whole administration. It's all Sophie's I mean, choice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so yeah. as a result, it meant that the argument for voting rights had to expand beyond the court of law into the court of public okay. opinion. And so what we do, we're a boots-on-the-ground organization that goes out, knocks on doors, and targets politicians who are making it harder to vote uh, by making it harder for them, for them to get reelected. Awesome. Yeah, I think so. Great. Thanks. Well, let America vote. Let's let Kansas City vote. And vote for Jason Kander, y'all. This is this has been a campaign commercial for Jason. <laughs> I'll take it. I, I approve this message. Uh, but outside the wires, the book, guys, read it. It's so much fun. We were joking about how I, I, my book was, I call it a toilet book because you can read it in the bathroom. This is a book you can read anywhere. Including the bathroom. It's an awesome bathroom book. You yeah, know, absolutely. Because you can get little pieces of it and get some lessons for your yeah. life uh, by a man who's lived a lot of it. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Ryan.